Wow, was that a powerful time? I am just loving that we get to enjoy God's presence that way. Well, I just want to um, say hello to some people online. It looks like uh, Ken and Kathy are online. Hi, guys. Uh, Rose, Fred, Victoria, Joel, Pam. There's a bunch of people on there. Uh, Matthew, Cheryl, welcome. Glad you could join us. Um, before we kind of just get into the Word, can we just take 30 seconds? You don't even need to get up, but just turn around and say hello to somebody without their mask on for a minute. Realize that there's smiles in the place. If you're online, drop a little message in there. Let, let us know you're joining us um, and let the team know you're on. Just say hello. Um, yeah, we got people all over the place and it's good. Amen? It is just good. So, we are going to, this week, um, it turns out, I believe it's going to complement very well last week what I spoke about. Um, that was a word I really felt God put on my heart about running after his presence. This week, I just decided to continue with what Pastor Justin started in First uh, Peter. And as the Lord would have it, I just, they just go so well together, I think. So um, we are going to read out of First uh, Peter chapter 1. If you guys wouldn't mind standing with me, I encourage you, even if you're at home, feel free, stand right up. It's okay if it feels awkward. Probably feels awkward for some people here too. So First um, Peter chapter 1, verse 24 through the third verse of the second chapter, it just says this, For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, it's always remember, good to think about why that's there. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word is so good and that we get the privilege and opportunity to dig into it today. We ask, God, that um, that anointing that your scripture promises us will teach us all things, Lord, that your presence and anointing would teach us this morning what you would have us to learn from your word. We thank you for this this time of gathering together, may your name be praised in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Thanks, guys. So I say it kind of compliments last week because this week we're really just going to talk about completely the Word. And so I felt like last week was talking more about the, the, maybe the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. And, and we're really going to dive into the Word today about the Word. So it begins in uh, verse 24. It says, all people are like grass. And it's interesting what Peter's doing is he's actually quoting out of Isaiah. I believe it's chapter 40. And he's taking this Old Testament scripture. He says, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And what Peter is doing is before we get into the, the subject really for the day, he's setting us up with a foundation, kind of like glasses, like a lens to, for us to see through. He wants to make sure before we go on that we're seeing things correctly. And the two things he brings out in this scripture are first, that people come and go on this earth, right? That we're like flowers. Flowers aren't forever. Um, depending on how green your thumb is, some of us have a shorter lifespan on those flowers than other people, but they come and they go, and that's the point of it. You know, he wants us to realize that outside of the Lord coming back, every one of us in this room will have an expiration date on this earth. Right? It's just, it's just called life. 
We all have a time when, when we're going to taste death unless we're part of that awesome group that gets to go up with Jesus when he returns and not see it. But for the rest of us, we're going we're gonna to taste death. There's a, there's a temporariness to our earth walk, to these bodies we're living in. We'll get glorified bodies someday, but this is temporary where we're at at the moment. Um, so Peter wants us to take that and say, okay, this is you guys. People come and go. There's going to be people as you walk in your life that come and go in your life. You're going to see them for a season. You may, you know, you may not see them until heaven again, but there's going to, they're going to be there for a season. But he says, what I want you to recognize is the word of the Lord is forever. There is no season for the word of the Lord. There is no coming and going to the word of the Lord. He says, um, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And why this is important is because as we begin to talk about the next couple of verses, he wants us to re- recognize that the word of the Lord is absolutely preeminent. It's of number one importance and that every promise in this book will, will be fulfilled before Jesus returns. There is no promise in here God has that will go unfulfilled because the word of the Lord endures forever. So it says this, it says, All people are like grass and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord, let's say this together, endures forever. All right? Okay, so that's our backdrop as we get into the meat of the next few verses. So 2 Peter chapter 1 says this. It says, let's, let's, let's remember as we get into the, the second chapter that the epistle of Peter means it was a letter written to people. He wrote the letter to somebody, and that somebody was Christians. That somebody wasn't unbelievers. It was actually believers. It opens up by saying, the very beginning of 1 Peter, it says, to God's elect, strangers in the world, Pastor Justin talked about that a bit, scattered throughout, and he tells you where the churches are. So what Peter's doing is he's writing a letter to believers that have been scattered throughout the land, and he's helping us to kind of zero in on, on some things that he feels are important to us. So So what we're about to read, keep that in the back of your mind, this letter is written to Christians, not unbelievers. So verse 1 says this, Therefore, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Someone's saying, I told you, Mabel, we should have gone to Congdon's Donuts this morning. (laughs) Buckle up, because here we go. But this is the truth. So Peter is encouraging us that, that, that we need to rid ourselves of these things. It's really interesting. The first thing that I want to really, um, us to realize is in that scripture, um, the Lord is saying that we have a job to do, that we have to rid ourselves, that he, that, that he works with us, but we have to do something. In the book of Revelations, I think it's chapter 19, John goes through and he talks about his vision, and, and it's obviously... a way in depth, but there's one point of it where he, the Lord opens up to him this scene called the wedding supper of the Lamb. And in the wedding supper, Jesus is the groom, and his church believers are um, the bride. And you see this, this supper put on by the Father to celebrate the uniting, basically, of the body of Christ together. Jesus is the head and his church is the body. We come together, the bride and the groom, in this great feast that's alluded to and talked about in Revelation chapter 19. But one of the things um, that's important for us to, to hit on is John says this. He hears a great hallelujah. So some, we, we've come through in the book of Revelation, you, you come through a book of um, struggles, we'll say, and, and issues, and finally there's this great hallelujah. It's like celebration, and, and John hears this. For the Lord God Almighty reigns. It's Revelation chapter 19, 6. The Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice 
and be glad and give him glory. For here it is, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That's interesting. Fine linen, bright and clear, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. The, the, the point is, is the, the bride has a job to do. The bride has to make herself ready. God actually gives us the linen. He gives us the grace to do what we need to do, right? The, the righteous acts of the saints. He's like, here's, here's the grace you need to do what you need to do, but you have to co-labor with Christ and actually do it. We can sit around and do nothing, or we can co-labor with Christ. So um, when I was married, we were married in 2001. She's looking at me with raised eyebrows. Make sure you get the date right. I got the date right. Nailed that one. So we were married in 2001, and uh, we got married on this little lake in upstate New York. And um, you know how people have like photographers and stuff. And so the, the photographer was supposed to come and take my picture before the wedding. And then the photographer was supposed to come and take her picture separately because you're not supposed to see each other. And the photographer's like, do you know when Melissa's getting here? I thought Melissa was supposed to already be here. Like, we're getting married. So long story short, I didn't know that they were driving like Mario Andretti through the hills of upstate New York trying to get to the wedding on time because they spent so much time preparing for the wedding. That whole idea that the bride prepares herself. She spent so much time preparing for the wedding, she almost missed the wedding. But the point of the matter is, we as the bride of Christ have an opportunity and an obligation to prepare ourselves. And I think that's the, the, the point I want to make today as we, as we break open this. In fact, Jesus talks about it in another place. It's in Matthew chapter 22, I believe. Um, let me get over there. He actually tells a parable of a wedding feast. <clears throat> oh, look, at they have it up for me. That's great. I, I messed it up the first service and they got it all. So I'm going to read the whole thing from here so we're all in the same thing. It's NIV, I believe. So uh, I want to read through the, the wedding feast. It says, Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My ox and fatted cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. And then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I have invited did not come, did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet, invite to the banquet anyone you find which is really interesting because that's, that's where we're at. We're the people that the Lord went to the street corners to find to fill up his banquet. Anybody with me? So the servants went out into the streets, gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man was there, was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how did you get in here without wearing wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. <clears throat> The king then told his attendants, I'm going to jump on the next verse, it's just one more, so don't worry about it, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside. He actually had a bad reaction. He told this guy that came to the wedding, why, why aren't you in the clothes you're supposed to be in? And, and most com Bible commentaries that you read will say that the king actually would, would have in those days provided the clothes 
for everyone to wear so that nobody would come to the banquet ill-prepared. The king in his graciousness would make sure that everyone has the clothes needed, you know, provided for to, to get in and, and celebrate together. Much like what it says in Re- Revelation that there are white linen clothing is, a, you know, the um, uh, example that, or, um, well, let's, I can't think of the word, but white linen clothing is what it says in Revelations we'll be wearing, and that represents, I think that's the word I was looking for, that represents the righteous acts of the saints. But it says that clothing is provided to us by God himself. The king provides the clothing. We just have to put it on. And so in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, rid yourself of these sins. And I, th- I believe that's part of our process for getting ready for our king. So it's interesting. So how, does, how do we do that? Maybe, you've, maybe you're part of the church and you understand this, maybe you, you, you're sitting here today and you're like, hey, I, I know those things you read about earlier, that malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, those are a lifestyle for me. I, don't, I can't say that I'm a believer. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to prepare myself. Well, the wonderful news is when Jesus went to the cross, he actually um, made provision for that. For anybody in a life of sin, it's, there's provision. Two things. One is forgiveness and the other is something called justification, which we'll talk about real quick. But forgiveness is simply this. When we come to God, we acknowledge that when Jesus went to the cross, he made a payment so that I didn't have to pay for my own sins, and I get to be forgiven. And the good news is, is that no matter how far along you are in your life of sin, no matter how many times you've done whatever that thing is, no matter how much you feel like you're under the weight of it, you can come to the Lord, and the Lord says he'll cast your sin as far as away as the east is from the west, that he actually throws it into the sea of forgetfulness, which we as humans don't understand because we remember everything, every little offense. He does, and he actually wants to get rid of that out of our sight, out of his sight, and uh, actually completely forgive us. The scripture says it this way, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and pure us from all unrighteousness. That's step one. Step two is this thing, it's this weird theological word called justification. It simply means this, Jesus took my sin so that I could take his righteousness, his right standing before God. And if I'll believe in that, if I'll put my faith in that, then I literally get to stand before God as if I'd never sinned, that he sees me as someone who is in right standing with, with the Lord. And I would, I would even go so far, and Hebrews would agree with me to say that that belief, that idea of the righteousness, our righteousness in Christ, is, is absolutely crucial to how we walk with God. Grabbing hold of, okay, what does that mean that I'm right with God? Uh, those two things, especially in these days, not that they were ever less important, but especially in these days, um, I just want to encourage us that we, we become a people that understand forgiveness and walk in it and give it away. And we understand righteousness. And when we talk about holding a brother or a sister accountable to the Lord, I think in days past that's looked like telling him that they're, you know, oh, you, brother, you, you're all screwed up, you're all messed up, you're all sinning. And that's not accountability. Accountability is saying, brother, you're, you're, you're actually called to be the righteousness of God in Christ. God, God actually sees you as a son totally forgiven. There's no, nothing that he wants you to be bound down by, and I want to lift you up. I want to encourage you to get yourself right so we can walk in freedom. Accountability pulls people into the freedom of Christ. It doesn't weigh them down with the shackles of sin. So I think those two things are really important. And the Scripture says it this way in 2 Corinthians, God made him, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And if I wrap my head around that, it actually makes it explode because it's amazing that we might become the righteousness of God. All right, going on to the second verse in chapter 2, it says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it we may grow up into salvation. 
So when I read that, I said, okay, what does is, what is pure spiritual milk mean? I think sometimes we read the Bible and we kind of make up our own stuff because like, I don't know what that means, so I'm just going to put in there something. Um, but the scripture actually talks about what milk is. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews says, um, chapter 5, verse 12 and 13, he says, you should be able to teach your brothers and sisters. It's right up there. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. It says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. So the, the scripture is telling us what milk is. Milk is actually the elementary teachings, the scripture itself that helps to build us up and get us going. And so I think when, when Peter's saying, hey, like newborn babies, would you crave the spiritual milk? He's saying, you know what? Don't, don't crave all the sin, crave the word of God. In my own personal life, that was what was transformative to me. The lady who kind of discipled me in the Lord even told me all the time, she said, you know, I knew, Tom, that if I could get you into the word of God and begin to crave the word, she didn't use that word, but begin to love the word of God, that the Holy Spirit would just begin to take over and all of a sudden I'm not, not needed anymore. And that's, that's the truth of my own life. Once I got into the Bible and began to get life from the scripture itself, uh, things got transformative. The scripture tells us in verse 1 to rid ourselves from all these things, malice, deceit, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the ways that David said he did it, Psalm 119, says this, David said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. <clears throat> and I just want to read to you uh, 12 truths from a, a Bible teacher who's since passed on. His name is Kevin Connor. He's from Australia. Um, but he, um, in one of his writings, I just thought this was so encouraging. He actually took what the Bible says about the Word of God, what the Bible says about itself. So everything I'm going to read you, I have Scripture verses for. I'm not going to get into those, but if you want to hear them or want a listing, I'd be more than happy to share with you. But there are 12 things about what the Word says, the ability of the Word is in our own life. First one is the Word of God is like fire. It says it in Jeremiah. It burns, cleanses, and purges all that is contrary to its own holy standard. The Word of God is like a hammer. It smashes and demolishes evil. The Word of God is like a lamp. It's an instrument of light and illumination in the darkness. The Word of God is like a mirror. I actually love this one. It reveals to us what we are and what we can be in the Lord. The Word is like a rod. It's a measuring instrument. It's a divine standard by which all matters of faith and practice are to be measured. The Word is like a seed. It's a germinating, life-producing Word having the potential of eternal life within it. The Word is a sword. It's a sharp, two-edged in its operation, separating the things of the flesh and the spirit. Anybody been experiencing that in these days, that the Lord separating things out to say, this is actually your flesh, Tom. This is where the spirit is. I know I have. The, the Word is like water. It's life-giving, refreshing, and a cleansing agent. The Word is like an ox goad. That's an old-fashioned, kind of like a cattle prod. It's an instrument which prods the ox into fulfilling its duties. <laughs> People laugh if they know it's true. <laughs> Anybody one walking with the Lord long enough to feel the, the, the cattle prod of his word tell you, yeah, come on, that's the truth. The word, and by the way, that one's in uh, Ecclesiastes. The word is like a nail. It's fastened in a sure place. It's unmoving, and we can safely hang things on it. The word is like an anchor. It holds the believer in safety through every storm. And finally, the word is like a star. In Revelations, it talks about the star guides the believer to Christ. And finally, I would add this. I would add my own. I would say the word of the Lord isn't like, but the word of the Lord is 
a person. That Jesus is the living word. The Bible is the written word. Jesus wants to walk with us and guide us through our, the entirety of our life. And I think a lot of us recognize that. But sometimes what we forget, and if I'm going to be honest, sometimes what I forget is that the Bible and Jesus are in complete unity. And I never actually obey, uh, I never actually fully obey God until I fully obey His written word. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we, we, we can once in a while convince ourselves in our own spirituality that, that this is what God would want without actually going back to His written word to say, okay, is that the truth in there? Or is that just my own preferences wrapped in spirituality, if that makes sense. Um, but that's the truth. That, that's the truth. We don't, know, we don't love the Lord Jesus more than we love His Bible, and we don't obey Jesus any more than we actually obey His Bible. Um, and I think in these times, what Peter's actually encouraging us to do more than anything is rid ourselves from sin, get into the Word so that we could grow up. That's actually the next section uh, of that verse. So that you may thereby grow into your salvation. Do you realize that everything in life grows? Um, if you have a good gardener, right? Um, I could kill everything. But things do grow normally. Trees grow, animals grow, people grow. And saints are meant to grow. And I think this one is the one that wigs some people out. You ever hear those people that say, well, you're just a hypocrite because of yada, yada, yada. We don't realize that people come to Jesus and... And in all honesty, I'm just now, when I just came to Jesus, I'm, I'm Tom, and I just had an encounter with God. God's made all things new, but he's still working out my character. He's still working out my calling. He's still, you know what I'm saying? He's still working out where I'm to walk, especially if you're a young person. Sometimes young people love to throw this stuff out where we're disillusioned with the church. Well, the truth of the matter is, saints are meant to grow. So allow that person to grow, even if it, they don't look how you think they should look. You know, as a young person, or even an old person, any person, we look at each other and we, we, we judge them not understanding the soil of their life, not understanding what they've gone through, not understanding where God's taking them. Instead, we should step back and say, God, I just thank you that that person's growing. I thank you that they're still here. Well, they're not growing like maybe I want them to, but they're not my seed. They're not my, they're not my saint. They're your saint. And I, I just want to encourage us that people are to grow and saints are to grow. We're to become more like Jesus every day. And I want to give you three quick ways to do that. Not quick, but um, practical. And it's overly simplified. I absolutely know that. But it's true and it works. And the first one is read the Word. The second one is speak the Word. And the third one is to do the Word. In fact, Jesus talks about the only way we actually build a solid foundation in our life as a Christian is to believe the Word and do the Word. It's not just believe the Word. You don't believe the word until you do the word. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, it says this great thing. It says that Jesus is the high priest of our confession, meaning that he actually looks over the things that we, we, we speak and profess with our mouth. And that's why it's so important that we not only believe the word, but we speak the word. We declare what God says about a situation. We have a lot of people right now, as you can see from our list, that are, are struggling with uh, cancer. It's a it's probably the Goliath of the church in our day, right? It's, cancer is this great thing that everyone, unfortunately, is, is battling against. And it's, it'd be, it is super easy. I've walked with people through this stuff. I've never had it myself, so I don't want to assume that I know anything of what people are walking through. But um, it's super easy to, whenever we have a situation that's crisis like that, where it's life or death in the moment to get our eyes off of the Word of God, um, and it's only natural, and you get consumed by facts. I believe the entire world has done this in the last five months. We get consumed with facts and statistics. One pastor, I love this, says, he says, statistics are only the record of, of what Satan did yesterday. 
But today is mine and tomorrow is mine. That's what the scripture says. And, and, and at some point, I think it's okay to say, this is the fact. I have the doctor's report in front of me. That's okay. This is fact. And we take fact for what it is. But what, what's really important to remember is that truth can change the facts. Truth can actually change the facts. We've seen it in our own life. We've seen it in the church where we begin to speak and declare the promises of God over our life and everything changes. You take an impossible situation and begin to declare that God's for you in that moment and everything changes. I told a story a bit ago about um, <laughs> we moved from upstate to New York to here and I don't know if anybody else has moved from out of state from a more low economic place. Upstate New York is kind of low, struggling economically. We had a, a nice house on a quarter of an acre, and it was just beautiful, and you couldn't even buy a plot of land around here for what we sold our house for. And so when um, we came up here and we thought, yay, let's buy a house. <laughs> We're like, that'll never happen. Do you know how much these things are? Our realtor, I remember, was talking, taking us through houses and saying, well, this house is only $250,000. And I was like, that's a quarter of a million dollars. Like, like come on, that's ridiculous. So I, we honestly didn't think we'd ever have a house. Um, well, not, not really, but, you know, that, that struggle, that stuff's going on inside you. You know what I'm saying? You believe in God, and you're struggling for the reality of that. And, and Tunde, Belanta, Pastor Tunde, if you um, have been here when he's here, he came up and he prophesied to me, to us, my wife and I, a word. He just, his random word was, it probably wasn't random, but out of Psalm, I think it's, I think it's 116 or Psalm 16, one of the two, it said, um, the lines have fallen in pleasant places for you. You have a godly inheritance. And I'm like, cool. You know, I, I understand the concept of David and why that's in there because David wasn't the oldest in his family. I have no idea how to apply that to my own life. And then one day I opened the, um, the message version. I just love Eugene Peterson. And his version actually says, I have a house and a yard prepared for you. <laughs> so we just held on to that for like three years, right? And so this, this past weekend that we moved into our house, which is just so good news, isn't it? Yeah, so I just, I just encourage us. Like, I think that's, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to take hold of his word. He wants us to declare his word. He wants us to do his word. And we'll see that, he, that every one of his promises he'll fulfill on our behalf, no matter how crazy they are. And lastly, why don't you guys stand up with me? Um, if you don't mind, get some blood flowing. We're going to kind of end things out here. But lastly, Peter says my favorite part of this entire scripture. At the beginning, he says, don't sin. And then he says, get in. He says, crave the spiritual milk. Crave the word of God so that you can grow. And he ends out this beautiful three you know, verses of scripture by simply saying this. <clears throat> and I can't, I don't even have it with me. Where is it there? He talks about, let me get into it, messed myself up. He talks about, after all of it, bringing us back to the fact that we are people who know the Lord's goodness. Don't forget this one point. It says this, it says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, laying that all aside, ridding ourselves of all that stuff, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word. I want to just encourage you, go, go after the, the pure milk of the word of God that you may grow. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I don't know about you, and, but, you but when I read that verse, it reminds me of one thing. And that it's, for me, all the difference in the world is we don't serve a God 
who's just on paper. We don't serve a God who's just in a statue. We don't serve a God who's just a, a bunch of rules and regulations. We serve a God who wants to walk with us, who is with us, who says, I want you to experience my goodness. The psalmist said, said it this way. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I would just encourage us in this season that we are a people who have tasted the word of God. We've tasted the goodness of God. We've experienced his presence. But I, I, I want to dare say that in this season where the life seems to be getting darker and things seem to be getting chaotic, more chaotic, that the brightness of God's goodness and his good news is only going to shine brighter. That in the church, we're going to come into days where we experience his goodness as never before. And it may be this crazy juxtaposition where things out there look really crazy and I don't have an understanding of that. I don't, have, I don't know how to process this and this doesn't make sense and I'm really stressed out. But the Lord is good to his people. He's merciful. He's gracious. And we're going to experience that. I want to encourage you this week, if there's a struggle in your life that you're like, hey, I, I don't know how to handle this, go to God's word. Find out what he says about that word, your issue, and stand on it. Don't let him go because I believe, like Jen had mentioned earlier in that Psalm 27, she said, I would have lost heart had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That promise alone, I think, will sustain us. If we just believe that God's goodness is good enough to get us through, well, what about, what about the election? What about the, the medical stuff going on? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The, we're going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That's my primary concern. And saints, today as we end, we're going to end with a wonderful song that just really encapsulates the entire message of the gospel. And I just want you to celebrate with me once again that he's good. In every line of this song, I just see the goodness of God over his people. So um, if you wouldn't mind just taking time to celebrate with me as we kind of end and just trust that his word endures forever. Amen?